Welcome to the Balance of Power Roundtable broadcast on WKXL, and we are available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, joined, as always, by former two-term U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant Alicia Preston. We are recording this fresh off the 4th of July. It's July 5th. Folks, how are you feeling on this particular 4th of July? Were you... Were you your chest swelled with patriotism or patriotism mixed with anxiety about the state of our nation paul i would say it's the the latter not the former um yes duff thy breast swell with patriotic fervor seeing the american flags and hearing the firecrackers going off scaring every dog certainly doth Doth the patriotic breast swell at the smell of burgers and hot dogs on the grill? Absolutely. And at the same time, things are something's rotten in Denmark. And uh, and and it's and and it's it's it's, you know, for a lot of people, it's been very tough to feel the spirit of independence in America. I mean, we have a country that aspires to high ideals and we feel challenged, but it's not that unusual. We've been through this kind of thing in this country before. We've been through civil war. We've been through the ugliness of, um, of uh, Jim Crow. We've been, we've been through all kinds of challenging times, and we'll get through this one as well. Alicia, were you feeling particularly anxious? Because it, it does seem like if we were doing a State of the Union address, the state of the nation does seem to be anxious. People are, people are, you know, I, I'd, I'd say there are people can't see me gesturing. It's like, if you, if you held your hand, like right above your eyebrow, people are kind of up to hear this, this year. Were, were you feeling that? No, I, I, I felt great. I, um, you know, the news of the day doesn't change my opinion on America. The fact that we have challenging times and are people that are able to have disagreement is one of the beauties of America, right? I mean, we have a neighborhood party every year. Every political suasion from the far left to the far right to everybody in between is there. Um, and we all had a great time together sharing in the celebration of America. The only news topic we talked about is we did talk about egg prices quite significantly. Honest truth. That was what got us all. But other than that, you know, we were just enjoying our rights and our abilities to have a party and, and celebrate what America is. And, you know, I didn't watch a lot of news on the 4th itself, but on the 5th, I got up and I watched the news and I saw, and I think this needs to be put everything into perspective, Brittany Griner, who's the NBA, women's NBA player who is um, held hostage, I'm going to call it, in Russia right now. Um, she penned a letter to President Biden. Um, and said that she has a new perspective this year on what freedom means. And so I think as Americans, we so take advantage of what it means to be in America because we don't know anything else until you're stuck in a Russian prison for carrying, you know, a vape pod of weed or whatever. And she could be there for up to 10 years. So I think, you know, of course, there's challenges going on in the country. There always is. And we're in some difficult times for many people right now. But it doesn't change the fact that this is still the greatest country on earth. And we have freedoms that others cannot comprehend. And I hope we never understand it, because in order for us to really understand it, we've got to be in a position like Brittany Griner. Well, first of all, I think it's entirely appropriate for you to call Brittany Greyer, Greiner a hostage. That's what Jason Rezaian, the former hostage in Iran, Washington Post reporter for 18 months in Iran, that's how he refers to these Americans held abroad, 40 plus 
uh, of whom, and look, since our last show, there was a really gripping uh, op-ed in the New York Times that was smuggled out of Evan Prison in Tehran from Simak Namazi, who I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He's the longest held Iranian American prisoner in Iran, similarly pleading with the administration to do more. And so I, I actually think it's, while it's it's a bummer, I actually think it's it's totally patriotic and appropriate, Alicia, for you to start off talking about, look, there are Americans held as hostages overseas, and that really puts things into perspective. And hopefully that's something that still unites us. I have to say that my, so notwithstanding that sort of gut check, right, which I think you're right about, you're right about, we enjoy incredible prosperity and freedoms in America that we do often take for granted. I do think the national mood was actually well captured by Mitt Romney, who wrote on the 4th of July in the Atlantic that America's in denial because too many Americans are blithely dismissing threats that could prove cataclysmic. And he kind of goes to town on his own party for ignoring global warming and the fact that the reservoirs and lakes of the West are currently going dry in a massive drought. And we seem to think, oh, you know, that'll that'll all fade. This isn't part of a pattern. And he kind of goes after Democrats for saying, eh, you know, everything happening at the border is fine. Um, you know, we, we, we don't need to we don't need to toughen things up there at all. And yes, he goes right at kind of the, the middle point, which is the fact that Michael Ludig said the conservative jurist, kind of like he's a five star conservative jurist. There, there's really very few people higher in the echelons of conservative judicial thought than Michael Ludig. And he said in his testimony, the January 6th committee, that we're already in a war for our democracy right now. So when you're in the middle of a war, I do think it's it's very, very hard to feel entirely good about where we're at. But I guess I would say I feel grateful about being an American. I feel grateful about the privileges and the freedoms we have, but I'm worried. I'm I'm worried. And that's it's not a comfortable feeling. Listen, I think you can you can, without without hesitation, you can celebrate what our country stands for. You can celebrate our ideals. You can celebrate our aspirations. And then you can mourn uh, the regressive, violent, white supremacist underbelly of this nation, which seems um, to be um, more and more present over the past decade. And that trend, um, if, if freedom means freedom uh, of the kind that produces uh, the violent episodes that we've been subject to, uh, then, we, then we need to take some action. So celebrating the ideals of the nation cannot lead us to the kind of head in the sand ignorant approach um, that uh, that so many seem to take as their right. We are in a crisis in this country. There is a deep, deep crisis. It appear, uh, To me, it's a moral crisis. To me, it's a crisis of thought. To me, it's a crisis of action. And uh, we're in an existential climate crisis. That doesn't mean we don't celebrate on July 4th the ideals and aspirations of the country. 
but it does it we we need a, we need a wake up and we need some action well um, let me let me press you on that for a second because we are coming off of a week in which pundits were talking their faces off and 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 we weren't because we were taking a little break for the 4th of July but pundits were talking their faces off about two different items that were were being described as watershed events, as fundamental game changers. One was the Roe ruling, the Dobbs ruling from the Supreme Court. The other was the Hutchinson testimony, which directly linked Donald Trump and his state of mind and his apparent violence on January 6th and in the run-up to January 6th to the events of that day. So I guess I'll just throw out to both of you, were either of those actually watershed events? Are we... Are we in a different America on July 5th than we were in a week or so ago? No. I mean, look, was Roe v. Wade a big deal? Of course it was a big deal. I happen, as I've noted on the show before, to support the decision. I think it should be in the hands of the states. But it was a big deal. But we're not in a different America. I mean, was uh, were we in a different America in 1972 before Roe? I, I think putting so much focus on the fact that Roe v. Wade defines who we are as a country is is preposterous, to be honest. Um, it, it's not. It's a piece of our law or our constitution, however you look at it, uh, and it changed. And it went back to what it was before Roe v. Wade um, as a state issue. And that's where I think it should lie. And I don't support a complete ban on abortion. That's not my point. I support states making the decisions. I support the people electing people who directly make those decisions. And that's what this case did. As for, you mentioned Cassidy Hutchinson, um, her testimony was huge as well, but it, it's not nation defining. I mean, we learned, again, I've said before, we're learning details of things we didn't know. We're not learning a lot new about the big picture. We, 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 we all now know whether we want to admit it or not, we know what went down. Right. In, in the attempt to overturn the election and on the day of insurrection, we're now learning kind of these details underneath. Um, it's also important to remember that. And I believe her. She seemed like a very um, a believable witness. But uh, none of what she's saying is admissible about what the president did in, in the SUV and whatnot uh, to a Secret Service agent in a court of law because she was just told it by a third party. So. You know, people are like, oh, that's going to get him. That's going to get him indicted or charged by the DOJ. And I don't know. Paul knows this stuff better than I do. He's a lawyer, but it doesn't seem like anything she testified to enhances a legal argument to arrest the former president. Uh, I just think it's more of the CD underbelly of what went down. Paul, game changers. Um, I think it's sad to hear my good friend Alicia Preston minimize the impact of the uh, decision overturning Roe v. Wade. The Dobbs decision um, is, is, is a really big deal. And it's a really big deal because it's not just about abortion. It's about a regressive backwards view of, uh, of our constitution, of, of the freedoms that, and freedom and liber individual liberty that uh, with reasonable common sense, we now uh, have come to enjoy and take for, and justly take for granted, except for this right wing radical ideological uh, approach of a Supreme Court, which now has three liars, um, at least uh, three liars under oath as justices. Our Supreme Court has been diminished and demeaned. Um, 
it is a tremendous blow uh, to freedom and liberty. Uh, it, it reinforces a patriarchal, white supremacist, anti-female um, culture that is prevalent in this country. It is a, it is a severe blow to um, the, to, it's just a severe blow. So it, it can't be minimized. Just saying, oh, it, it's okay to send it back to the States is, is crazy talk to me. I know Alicia uh, doesn't think so, but it creates a patchwork approach to a fundamental freedom that every person uh, should uh, enjoy, the right to integrity in our own bodies and what happens with our health care and how we deal with it without the interference of a government. It is a it's just awful. Okay, that's number one. Number two, Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony. Yes, a lot of it is based on hearsay. Uh, the January 6th committee is not a criminal criminal court. Um, her hearsay testimony, um, uh, or some of the testimonies hearsay, some is not, puts in, it connected very critical dots um, in uh, the back the background of what was going on with Trump and the White House um, in and around the plot to steal the election and in and around the attempted coup uh, that uh, Trump and his allies sought to basically uh, destroy our democracy. So it was very important testimony made. Um, you know, the New York Times had a very interesting analysis, um, and I've had discussions um, with uh, my wife, Pego, over the past couple of days about the double standards uh, of male witnesses and female witnesses and how important it was, for example, that uh, Cassidy Hutchinson was, was wearing neutral colors. She wore black and white. She didn't wear red and blue. She um, was composed. Um, she gave extraordinary testimony in a very calm and reserved way, which really uh, had even more impact because of the excellence of her preparation and presentation. But what she told us was staggering. The portrait of the president, um, which we've heard about, but nobody's really testified to before this totally unhinged, unhinged president. Uh, who knew that his followers had weapons and wanted them to have weapons so that he and they could march on the Capitol. The unhinged president in, in the limousine, um, the unhinged president throwing ketchup at the walls. I mean, this, this was a pretty, pretty powerful and staggering bit of testimony. I, I just want to note one thing based on what you just said, because there's a meme going around that's false. He wasn't in the presidential limousine. He wasn't in the beast allegedly when, when this alleged incident happened. He was in right. the SUV. Uh -huh. And that's important to note because some people who just refuse to believe this incident could have occurred are sending around this meme all over all, all platforms of social media with a picture of the beast, the limousine with the president in the far back and how far front he would have had to leap. And they're using this as proof that Cassidy is a liar. But that's not the vehicle he was in. So I just want to know that. <laughs> you know, one of the things I enjoy on the show is getting what Justice John Roberts once claimed he would do as a member of the Supreme Court. And by the way, I, I, I have to say it. He's by and large stuck with it. He said, I'm just here to call balls and strikes, people. And I'm going to get to do that right now. In, in your last answers, I'm going to call strike 
on Alicia on on the the second answer. I think I think you sent that fastball right down the pike with your analysis that this adds detail. It doesn't fundamentally change anything. And you could see it there. I mean, Republicans in Congress are like that meme of the monkeys, you know, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no <laughs> evil. Like th- all of this is they're They're almost literally sitting there with their eyes closed and their fingers and their ears going la, 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 la. They don't want to hear it. Nothing is going to change it for people who are worried. I'm going to save this line for an article that I'm writing, but I'm going to say it here on the radio. People who have always worried about the zombie apocalypse happening. Hey, folks, don't worry. It's already happened. They're called Republicans and they're zombies. They're political zombies. Not not you, Alicia. You're not a zombie yet. Although if you I I don't know what kind of burger you were eating yesterday, the fourth of July, but the the taste for brain delicious one, just medium rare. So there was was some brain in there. It It was a little brainy. Yeah, it was a little brainy. I mean, the taste for brains among Republican members of Congress is strong right now. Nothing, nothing will shake them from their Trump, almighty Trump. He does no wrong. Nothing will shake them. Look, so no, Alicia is right. I I call strike on that one. But I do want to go back to what Paul. Oh, go ahead, Alicia. You're, I was going to say I'm, I'm praising glad, you, so you should come. I'm in glad this. you cleared it up because when you said strike, I didn't know if I was the pitcher or the batter. So oh, now I understand. Okay, you throw I got the heat. it. All right, thanks, man. Got it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You're you're Manny. You're Manny. But Manny. okay, Excellent. can I can I switch the baseball metaphor now? F- future within the next few weeks, Hall of Famer Big Poppy mm. would have hit My man. out of the park. Paul's Paul's response was was a home run too because look. What I worry about, what I think Paul is saying, and what many Americans should be worried about here is the tip of the iceberg effect that we're seeing in Roe v. Wade. I am not minimizing the immediate effect on women, the immediate effect on women's rights, the immediate effect. I mean, look, we've already seen stories like the one in Ohio of the 10-year-old who had to flee to another state to get an emergency abortion because she would have been prosecuted. And she was, anyway, people can look that up. So these effects are real, they're immediate, and they're extremely important. But what we should also be worried about, and the reason that many people, including me, see the Roe ruling as as a watershed, is what else it augurs. When Clarence Thomas says in his dissent, hey, folks, it's time to look at our, our ruling that that guaranteed marriage equality, that said marriage equality is a fundamental right. It's not state by state, okay? It's constitutional. So you can't leave it to the states. And we should go back and look at the 1965 ruling that allowed married couples to get contraception. This is what our recent guest, Kim Whaley, was talking about, that there's nothing in the constitution that guarantees your right to marriage, to, to your own personal decisions in your own life. Clarence Thomas is saying to you, no, he believes that the Supreme Court should give states the ability to regulate your bedroom, to come in and say, no contraception for you. No, you cannot love who you love. You cannot do what you think you can do in the privacy of your own home between two consenting adults. He believes that, and he's inviting future legal challenge. And we now know that there is possibly a majority on the Supreme Court that would rule with him, that should be disturbing to everybody, especially conservatives. But you wanted to comment on that. Well, I want to comment on the gay marriage thing. I personally, and look, I, I, I hate to 
challenge a Supreme Court justice from a legal standpoint because, you know, I got a four year degree. Oh, no, no, no. I invite you to. I invite you to because you have common sense, my friend. Well, look, I don't know if the government should be involved in marriage or not, but they are. The federal government is involved in marriage when it comes to death benefits and Social Security and all these other things. So they're in bed, so to speak, with marriage as it is. Therefore, the federal government has some you know, uh, involvement in it. And I would argue that therefore, if it's a federal situation, which I actually believe it is, it is protected by the fact of equal rights in the constitution. I don't think you have to delve much farther. It's a federal issue, not a state issue to decide because the federal government is directly involved in marriage in this country. Therefore it is under the federal purview and it is protected in the constitution by the basis of equal rights. You can't as a federal government offer financial benefits to one couple and not another no matter who that couple is. I would argue there's a legal argument there. And therefore, I do not see I really don't see gay marriage being overturned. And it shouldn't be. You know, one of the one of the striking things to me about this was the the starkness of the of the decision that says, well, we have to look at what they what the words were in 1776 and um, 18, 1855 or whatever the, the, the second the second time was, because because that's all that counts. Um, conveniently, of course, Clarence Thomas left out the decision in Loving v. Virginia, which allowed interracial marriage, which was anathema at the time of the original con- uh, Constitution. So let's call hypocrisy on that one, because Clarence Thomas is married to the radical right winger Ginny Thomas and to Together, they are trying to upend democracy. But we'll put that aside for the moment. The Isn't crazy- it a great place we've reached in America where the most salient feature of Ginny Thomas is her insanity and her hatred for America? And not the fact that she's white. I just like that we moved past those kinds of color distinctions. <laughs> we, we, we celebrate her for her insanity. Yeah, but OK, let me just make the further point I want to make beyond the insanity of Ginny and Clarence and, and the dynamic duo they make is this, that... Um, In my uh, Capital Close-Up show, which aired uh, yesterday and is available by podcast, I I, I took a a close look and read from uh, important speeches of founding fathers and and later fathers of of America, Washington and Lincoln. And what was clear, uh, most interesting to me in Washington's farewell speech, which is um, I, I believe read on the uh, floor of the Senate annually um, was a clear what was was a clear admonition that the Constitution not be um, not not be uh, set in in granite forever as it set, but uh, would be adaptable to changing times. So that underneath the ideology of the Supreme Court, this originalist, only the words in the Constitution, hypocrisy that they've chosen. They're just plain wrong. It's just plain wrong. Well, it's I mean, look, the word woman doesn't appear in the Constitution, so you don't have oh, to you go brought for- that up before. That has nothing to do with women's rights. That has to do with we referred to. I, wait a second. I would say that has a lot to do with it. This is historical. It, it, linguistics. But it wasn't in it wasn't in the Constitution. So and in, in 1776, it wasn't there whoa, 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 in 1796. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me, so let me finish so my women shouldn't have any rights. No, 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 let Alicia finish. No, well, no. let Alicia finish. She's going to give us historical linguistics. Go right. 
the term men, all men are created equal, was the same as mankind. It included women and men. That was how it was used at the time. That is a fact. And they weren't delineated. Fact. When you say agreed. all men are agreed. created equal, agreed. We that agreed. meant all mankind. We're in fervent agreement. So what you're saying then is that words evolve in meaning over time. Like as we discussed last evolved. week, you right. adapt it. You don't change it. You adapt it. Right. And you so you don't change the Constitution. You don't change what the intent was. You adapt it to modern time, including modern linguistics. But that doesn't mean you change the intent of the meaning. It means you adapt it to where we are in a world from our language to all kinds of other things. So any any exercise that legally attempts to go back and use the exact wording of the Constitution in its literal meaning would, by your definition, be kind of insane, like Antonin Scalia did in his Heller decision, looking back at the Second Amendment and the placement of the comma and the clause and the meaning of militia. Right. So, I mean, the point no, is, I think that I think you're supposed to we've discussed this before. You're supposed to look what the meaning of the comma was. You're supposed to go back and look at the intent. That's the purpose. And they do. Even Scalia, he looked at what they believe the intent was at the time. This goes to the argument of if you're supposed to be pure, well, then you can only have muskets. No, of course not. They were writing for what they had at the time to be adapted to current. So so let's go. Let's go back to to when. Uh, the the ca capacity of firearms was a single ball, which took three minutes to load, e even when you were speeding along, and that there were um, uh, local militia who had just been rallied uh, to form an army to overthrow the British tyrant. So let's fast forward to the uh, to the era of AR-15s and white supremacists. And that is the context in which the Supreme Court would like to view the Second Amendment and apparently everything else, including women's rights, uh, human rights. Let's just go back to 1776. Right. You, can't, you can't rationally say that the way we need to govern our society today has to be governed, uh, has to be dictated by the intent and understanding of the world that existed 250 years ago. And the, the, the foundation for which was set and cited in the Dobbs opinion by 16th century scholars, 13th century <laughs> scholars. It's, it, it's a level of insanity. But look, 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 look. I want to go back to another agree. thing that Alicia just said. Well, by that notion, there, you are no different. If you subscribe to that, you are no different than religious fundamentalists in Afghanistan who say, we need to be governed by the literal intent of Sharia law as we divine it to, to have existed in the Quran. There is no, no difference. A, there is. One is a religious document. One is a government explain document. Explain to me, explain to me, like I'm a two-year-old, the difference between a group of bearded men well, I guess I guess Alito doesn't have a beard. A group of old men who say, look at this document that was handed down to us hundreds, almost a thousand years ago. This document at the time that it was written says that this is the will of, of some divine understanding. We need to follow it as it was meant at the time. We cannot deviate from that where the wrath of God will come down on us. 
because he's referencing a historical document as to how things were intended to be. I think it makes perfect sense. Look, to Paul's point on guns, it, no, you're wrong. The intent, yes, they, they couldn't predict that we'd have AR-15s, but you know why they wanted a Second Amendment? To make sure that people could fight a tyrannical government, which means they wanted the people to be able to have similar weapons that the government itself had. That is the purpose. The original purpose of that Second Amendment is to be able to fight a tyrannical government. So they did not want to say, the government can have AR-15s, but you can't. That's just not why that, that it's there. Sounded, that's sounding an awful lot like Donald Trump in the January 6th speech at the Ellipse, rallying his supporters to uh, fight against the, the tyrannical government. But Even of course, of, right of course nobody used an AR-15 on January 6th. They just used the American flag uh, as a spear, as spears to to gouge, maim uh, and uh, harm the Capitol Police. Uh, that's clearly what was contemplated in the Constitution to allow that kind of 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 violence in the face of what was deemed to be or what was lied, the lie, the big lie of the stolen election. So yep. is that what you're but talking we're getting about? Off track. We're getting we we're getting we way don't off have track. a tyrannical government. We're, and we're, so we're no. getting way off track. <laughs> guys. Just like to fight Britain. We're, 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 get, we're getting way off track. I know. Either I know. I I confess it's all me. I took us off track. You we you either believe you either believe that the way we govern our society today is you go back to the intent and remember intent means your interpretation of intent based on your views, right? So you either go back and try and interpret the intent of what men 250 years ago thought, and they were basing their thinking on what medieval scholars thought. And you say, okay, we cannot deviate from that. That line of thinking is literally the exact same approach that biblical scholars take. This is, look, I'm Jewish, okay? We come from a 5,700 year tradition where we believe that the way you, you practice, the way you say to be a rabbi is you go back to the original sources and you try to understand what they meant thousands and thousands of years ago and you interpret it. We've written, rabbis over thousands of years have written a, how many volumes is the Talmud? Hundreds, you know, like dozens and dozens of volumes of analysis on this is what they must have intended at the time, which we think is derived from the will of God. This is no different, no different than what the imams are doing in Afghanistan. And it is no different than what Scalia and Alito and that whole gang of radical, that's what strict originalism means. You strictly believe in the original intent and understanding of hundreds of years ago. You either fundamentally believe that that's an approach that governs society hundreds of years later, or you don't. I don't. But let me let me go back to something you said a moment ago, Alicia, because I actually thought it was really interesting. And I'm going to try to draw a nexus here that is not going to be obvious at first. Are you going to make you, a movie reference? No, 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 oh, no. Oh, okay. I'm going to refer to something you said. I want to refer to your testimony about seven minutes ago, where you said that when it comes to same-sex marriage and marriage in general, the government, the federal government is literally in bed with us as married couples. First of all, ew. Second, <laughs> I mean, if I roll over and I see Mitch McConnell lying there, I am not <laughs> going to react pleasantly. Second of all, it's interesting that you say that 
because we used to live in what the authors of a 2014 study called the golden age of overrides, meaning when the Supreme Court found something that Congress didn't like about a law that Congress had passed or an interpretation that Congress had made, Congress would come roaring back and say, hey, Supreme Court, screw you. This is the law that we are passing. This is the intent. We have this constitutional authority. Go take a hike. They notably did this, ironically, in the Defense of Marriage Act in 1996, where they kind of pre-butted the Supreme Court by saying, we are going to federally define marriage because we believe we have the power to do so misguided or well-guided as you may think that effort may have been. If you want to learn much more about that, go back and beyond politics. The author who literally wrote the book on this, Sasha Eisenberg, was our guest. Fascinating discussion. Go back and listen to it. The point is, Congress is the used to assert its constitutional power to actually be the legislature in this country, to actually make laws in this country. The failure to do so is opening up a vacuum. What's flooding into that vacuum? Two things, the bureaucracy of federal agencies, which is where 95% of policy is being made these days because Congress is unable to pass clear laws and the Supreme Court that is rushing into the breach and essentially making laws through an activist Supreme Court and federal court system. Paul, when you first arrived in Congress in 2006, you were part of a historic wave freshman class. You gals and guys, I remember this, used to blather on incessantly about Article One of the Constitution and the importance of reasserting Article One of the Constitution. What is Article One of the Constitution, Paul? And has Congress sort of fallen apart? Is that the root of all of our problems? Article one of the Constitution actually, I mean, it give it gives Congress more power than Cong than Congress is now able because of its dysfunction to 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 deploy. Um, and we did talk about rebalancing. Um, we were talking about rebalancing uh, the power of Congress uh, as a as a check on unchecked executive power, um, and the 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 system our system of government was really based on uh, of course uh, checks and balances and the courts and congress and the executive and the fourth branch the 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 uh, the news media <laughs> the, the 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 mainstream or lamestream media as some call it um but we had a system of checks and balances which we way back when thought uh, needed rebalancing. And in fact, your point is a good one. The, the words in the Supreme Court decision about the Clean Air Act are absent express congressional authority or, or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Um, so apparently Congress did not put in the law. And by the way, the EPA, we, we delegate to the EPA the authority to make the rules to enforce the Clean Air Act. Apparently those words were missing or some words like that. And the notion that the Supreme Court now suggests that it's up to Congress to do the kind of particular professional expert uh, work that the agencies are capable of doing um, is a very interesting and somewhat bizarre notion, given the current way government is set. The 
what the Supreme Court wants to do, apparently, is dismantle the federal government uh, as we know it and allow business to run roughshod without uh, regulation at the federal level. Now, some may applaud that. Some say, oh, government's gotten too big. Um, this decision um, is not is is not the way to deal with those issues. Alicia, obviously, you are the only member of the panel who hasn't served in Congress or been a congressional staffer, but you you closely observe and you've worked for candidates who have gone to Congress. I mean, do you do you think that the root of a lot of our problems, because I know you take a different view when it comes to the appropriate role of federal agencies and federal agency regulation, and you also take a different view when it comes to the role of the Supreme Court. But fundamentally, what you were just saying about abortion is that legislatures, that elected representatives of the people should be making more decisions about people's lives. Do you think that fundamentally a lot of the the anxiety and issues that we're talking about right now come down to a failure in Congress? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and it's not just Republicans, it's Republicans and Democrats who can't seem no matter who's in charge to get things done. Look, let me take gay marriage and gay rights, for, for instance. Why hasn't, because I believe it would fall under and should fall under civil rights, I believe the LGBT community should be considered a protected class. Why hasn't the federal government, even when the Democrats were in charge of everything, why haven't they made that a law? Why haven't they included members of the LGBT community in the civil rights laws that protect them from things like renting an apartment or losing your job? Now, courts have found time and again that it's probably a constitutional thing and they're probably protected, but that's not solid. I think that I think that Congress should do that. I absolutely do. I think Congress should um, do a law that protects gay marriage and all marriage. These are federal issues because the federal government's involved, either via civil rights or by the fact that they're sorry to creep you out in bed with married couples. Um, you know, the so I think the Congress should do that. But I don't think either courts or agencies should be given greater authority because Congress fails at its job. That's not the intent either. We've got to put more pressure on getting these people to get things done. As for the EPA, think, look, this was a law that was never enacted. It was under Barack Obama. This is so uninteresting. It's, you know, the agency put in these rules on power plants um, to regulate them. In 2016, there was an injunction that said, you can't do that. That's way out of your purview. And the latest Supreme Court ruling just said, yeah, 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 this is dead. You can't do that. It's not your job. And so it, it was never enacted. The sky isn't falling any more than it was a week ago. Yeah, look, I, I actually kind of agree with you on that. And I, I, I think I, I can't have it both ways. I, I personally cannot have it both ways. I cannot say that I believe that some of the root of the problem here is Congress's failure to legislate and to give clear instructions about what is and what is not the law and what should and should not be done. And then in the next breath say, well, but I don't like the Supreme Court opinion. I'm actually okay with the Supreme Court opinion personally. What I'm not okay with is you once again bringing to mind the image of rolling over in bed and seeing Chuck Schumer there. That's not what I want. We're recording this in the morning. I'm very upset about this. I like Chuck Schumer. He's kind of one of my people, but good gracious. You know, how about Nancy Pelosi? uh, You know, she's she no, Paul's Paul's shaking his head. No. Look, I don't I don't I don't want to sexualize any of the leaders of our country. It's it's inappropriate. 
It's wrong. Mm-hmm. But look, 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 look. If 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 I had to pick one that that maybe I wouldn't kick Talking out of Talking about track. going off track, by yeah. the way. <laughs> I okay, I was just keep going. Keep going. Booker's <laughs> a good looking keep man. Keep going. I want to hear what you're thinking. I don't know. I, I you could do worse than Corey. I that's all I'm saying. Corey's so, a good looking dude. I would never vote for him. He's kind of wacko and he's Spartacus and all that, but when it comes to physical physicality, he's a good looking dude. I'll give you that. You know what you know what we could do is we could do an NCAA tournament. Who would you roll over and be least likely to be horrified to see? We'll, oh we'll do that one God. next week. Oh we'll my God. Next week. We're, look, we're equal opportunity objectifiers. I didn't mean to start this, just for the record, listeners. Well, I did you not did. Mean to start this. You know what? Just like Samuel Alito, you have started something that cannot be rebottled, okay? Because Clarence Thomas is going to show up and say, oh, I want in on this game. And by the way, we should overturn Loving v. Virginia. Hey, look, before we go, we don't really have time to talk about this in, in the depth that it deserves. I just want to preview just like a little, a little appetizer of a really a stunning thing that came up at the end of last week. I don't think people have processed this yet. When, if we've learned nothing else in the last few years when it comes to the Supreme Court, it's when they say, hey, guys, watch out, something serious might be coming, you should believe them. So at the end of last week, the court said that it would take up a gerrymandering case from North Carolina that is based on what's known as independent state legislature theory, I-S-L-T, because a good acronym always makes things clearer. I don't have time to get into all the ins and outs of this. Suffice it to say, what this legal theory holds is that state legislatures can basically do whatever the heck they want when it comes to federal elections. They are unrestrained by state courts. People who think that this is all about gerrymandering are not thinking it through far enough. For example, this means that legislatures could come in and do what Donald Trump wanted them to do, what the John Eastman memo said they should be doing. They could come in after the fact of a presidential election and say, I don't care what all you people voted for. Your votes are cute. Nice. We like that you expressed yourself. Great. We're going to choose who gets the electoral votes. But it's even more fun than that, because if that's the reality, if what legislatures are fundamentally able to do is decide the outcomes of federal elections, then we're not going to campaign for people's votes for president anymore in America, we're going to campaign only to elect legislators because they're the ones who are going to get to decide electoral votes. I'm just going to leave that thought. Uh, You know, we've got like 30 seconds here. I'm going to give a lightning round response. Alicia, are we too worried about this? Just about worried enough or not worried enough? I looked into this and I have absolutely no idea. It's way too confusing for me to understand. I mean, my understanding is what they're saying is that the state says we get to make our gerrymander laws or our district law mapping and someone's saying, no, the federal government does and they're going to decide who gets that. And I have no opinion because I don't understand it. It's All right, here's totally, what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Oh, Paul, go. Totally nutball. Totally totally, totally whack job. It would take the courts out of any review of crazy legislator legislators it's totally whack job all right here's what we're going to do folks i'm going to write an article about this excellent and next week we're going to come back and talk about it unpack this whole thing on the balance power roundtable for paul and alicia i'm matt robeson we'll see you next week